title for our thoughts this morning is Heaven, Christ's Final Plea, and Our Future Home. The more I prepared this week for this message, the more it just overwhelmed me to realize that Christ has been praying this entire chapter. I mean, think about how many weeks we've been studying this particular chapter. There is so much to it, and he's prayed for so many things. And, and it would only stand to reason that as he comes to that last thing that he's going to ask. And verse 24 is the final plea that he makes of his father. He's going to explain a few more things in verse 25 and 26, but the last request that he has is in verse 24. And it stands to reason that that is a very important request upon his heart. We're going to read that verse in just a moment, but I'd ask you to do me a favor. If you will, if you've already put it away, reach back in front of you, get that white hymnal, and open it up and read with me the words of a song. As I was preparing this week, there was a particular verse that came to my mind that is in this particular psalm, and it, it happened, song. It happens to be the last verse, but as I opened the hymnal and I just looked at the song and read the verses and, and thought about it in light of what we're going to talk about this morning, the more Again, overwhelmed and impressed I became with this song. 348, if you'll open your hymnals to, verse, uh, to song 348, we're going to sing this for our invitation song in, uh, as we come to the close. The song is entitled, My Savior's Love. And I, I just want you to listen and read along to the words of the song. Uh, all five verses, what a beautiful, beautiful story. And, and, and hopefully as we think about this and look at this, we'll never sing this song the same way that we normally do. I stand amazed in the prayer, you know. But to really think about what he's saying, listen to what he says. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. Are we still amazed by him? I fear sometimes we become so familiar with him that he doesn't mean as much to us as he did when we first stood in his presence. You know, every time we stand in the presence of Jesus, it ought to be like it was the first time. The psalm writer says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. For me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own grief, but he sweat drops of blood for mine. Think about that. In pity, angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in the sorrows he bore for my soul that night. He took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and he died alone. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. And the reply to all of that is, oh how marvelous, oh how wonderful, and my song shall ever be, oh how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful 
is my Savior's love for me. I know we don't sing all five verses, but we need to make sure we sing that fifth verse to this morning and really think about what awaits us. In John 17, 24, Jesus said, Father, I will. The word will is the Greek verb that means my desire, my wish, that which I want to have happen. Jesus comes to the end of his prayer and he prays, Father, the thing that I approach you last and ask for, please, my desire, that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. I want you to do me a favor very quickly. If you will, just that, that, that one, two, three, four, fifth word, they. Take that word out and do what? Put your name there. And think about it this way. Father, Jesus is saying, I want, I desire that Jeff also, whom you gave me, Father, I desire that he will be with me, that where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world become my new favorite verse in the New Testament to realize that Jesus was praying God my desire Father that which I wish is that Brian Thomas will be with me Father I, I come to you and I understand there are thousands of years out there too. But I pray, Father, for Brother Les, and I pray that, Father, when I come into your kingdom, that the day will come when he will come to where I am. Lord, I, I'm begging and I plead with you for that day to arrive when Sister Dawn is right here with us. She's with me. She sees all of my glory. This is an exciting verse. I don't care if you are a missionary Baptist. This verse is exciting to understand. I want you to do me a favor. If you will go to chapter 18 with me and understand that what happens in, verse, in chapter 18 is literally just moments after this prayer. In chapter 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words... He went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. If you believe anything about Jesus, you believe and know. He knew what was happening or going to happen in chapter 18. He knew he was just hours away, not even hours, just moments away from when one of his own was going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that he was only hours away from, from the mock trial. 
in which the Jews would break all of their laws to get them convicted. He knew that within just hours, a big old Roman soldier holding a big stake like a railroad stake and a huge hammer was going to drive that stake into both of his wrists and into his feet. He knew that within just a short span of time, they would strip him of his clothes. They'd put purple on him and put a crown of thorns and pierce it into his head. And they'd put a rod in his hand after they had done hit him with it across the head, driving those thorns deeper, breaking them off in his brow. He knew that was coming. Two of my favorite places in all of Israel is this garden, Sister Donna, where he walked to. We spent some time in that garden looking at those olive trees and knowing that some of those were alive when he was there that night. And just realizing as you looked from there back across the, the valley to Jerusalem and see and just imagine. The second place, it was one of my favorites, not because I enjoyed it, but it, I, it, it broke my heart. I wept bitterly. I understand what Peter did when he wept bitterly. But I wept bitterly as I stood underneath Caiaphas' house in that prison where they lowered him and he knew that was coming at this moment. He knew that they would laugh at him. They'd spit in his face and they'd take and they'd pull strands of hair out of his beard. He knew that was coming moments away. He knew that Rome who had perfected how to take a man to the edge of his life and yet leave him alive by whipping him and scourging him. He knew that was coming. He knew that he was going to suffer physically from all the beatings and the nails and all of the pain and the agony of hanging upon a cross. He knew that he'd be abandoned by his friends and left alone and he knew when I say left alone he would truly be left alone the only time in eternity past and the only time in the eternity future that Jesus was left alone by the father because Jesus hung on the cross bearing my sins and my sorrows and the father in his holiness could not look upon him and he turned his back upon Jesus. Y'all, if you listen, if you can't get excited, if you can't be just really moved by the idea that here is Jesus, knowing that all of this was coming, and yet he bows for the final prayer, and he says, Father, as I pray, I pray for this, I pray for this, I pray for this, and now as I close my prayer, I don't pray, Father, to make this easier for me. I don't pray to lighten it for me. I don't pray that you would help me endure the pain. He says, Father, I pray for those members of Faith Missionary Baptist Church. I pray father that they will be with me that's what I want that's what I plead for right now you talk about a selfless humble prayer no thought at all of what he was going to go through 
no request to make it easier or to make it go away. And I thought, Brother Jimmy, as I was looking at this, I thought, what's my prayer life like? (laughs) Father, fix this. Father, make this happen. Father, make the the report for my daughter and and that that's growing and and, and just take that and and make it go away, Father. We don't want to face it. That's how we pray often. Jesus said, Father, I'm not concerned about me. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about Jeff Chrysler. Wow. I'm concerned about Bill Dixon. Uh, Father, I, I pray for Skylar. I pray for Donna Lee. I, I, I pray for all of these. I, I just, Father, I want them to be where I am. And I want them to see the glory that is truly mine. We're going to talk this morning about this final plea. Heaven and our home. Christ's final plea. As we look at this, we see whom he prays for. Jesus said, I pray for them. If you'll back up to verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe through their word. He says, Father, I'm not just praying for the 11 that's here, but I pray for all of those that are going to believe the testimony of the 11, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God, that Jesus came as God, robed in flesh as a man, lived among men, lived a perfect life, never sinned, never failed, never faltered, never did did anything or even thought anything that was against the Father's holy will. Their testimony is that this Jesus came and he had tremendous power that he could perform miracles, that he could cause the lame to get up and walk, that he could cause the blind to see, he could cause the dead to come to life again. That's their testimony of who Jesus is. But their testimony continues. This Jesus was taken and we left him we were afraid we were scared we didn't have the faith and so we all ran like sheep terrified if they get the master they may get us we sat around for the next few days wondering Some of us even just gave up on being a disciple and went back to fishing. But on the first day of the week after he had risen from the dead, he appeared to us. Our testimony is that one of us even said, this can't be. Even though this one Thomas had seen Jesus raise others from the dead, he still didn't believe. And so Jesus said, Thomas, Put your finger in the holes left by the nails. Thrust your hand into the hole left by the Roman spear. Our testimony is is that Jesus lives again. Our testimony is that in Acts chapter 1, we saw him, and as we were talking, he began to arise and to ascend her, and we stood there gazing in wonder, wondering what's going to happen, where is he going, and we see Jesus rising from the earth 
on the cloud. And we wondered. And an angel said, do not wonder. This same Jesus that you see taken up from you on a cloud is going to come again and receive you unto himself. That's our testimony. And you and I believe it, do we not? And Jesus said, I pray for them. Who does he pray for? Some say that this is another passage that shows that, 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 that we are predestined to either be saved or lost. They read this and they say in verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, and that they believe that God has chosen to give a certain few unto the Son, and the rest are condemned to hell and there's nothing they can do about it. But I would tell you this morning that that's not an accurate assessment of Scripture's. I would tell you this morning that yes, the Father gave a restricted group to the Son, but it's not because the Father restricted who could be a part of it. It is because most of mankind do not believe the testimony of the 11. That's why this number is restricted. He prays for those that by faith will believe the testimony. Whom he prays for are all those that are the children of faith. Not because he predetermined. They'll use this verse. They'll go to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. They'll go to Ephesians chapter 1. They'll look at John chapter 15 verse 16. All of these places and they'll say, See, God has predetermined some that will and some that won't. God has predetermined a few things. But he offered salvation to all mankind. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw the elect to me. I will draw a certain few to me. I'll draw those with a high school education. That would leave my father out who only had a third grade education. I will draw those that have great depths of money. That leaves me out. I will draw those that are pretty. That leaves Brother David Tate out. I will draw those that have this or that. No, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me that means he drawed me and he drew you but you had to choose by faith or reject it was up to you and if you believed if you accepted by faith then you became a part of that group that the father gave to the son I've gotten excited and hit my iPad, and it's, I don't know what it's doing. Is it still up there? Christ's final plea. Who did he pray for? He prayed for those that would believe. We continue to look at this, and we see that he prayed that he wanted them to be where he wanted them to be. He said, Father, I, I pray for them that they would be where I am. That begs a question, doesn't it? What question does that beg? Where is he? Where is he? I don't know if I could tell you that it's beyond the stars and this and that and the other. You know, Peter Pan used to say that uh, Neverland was to the third star to the left or something like that. I can't remember it all, but that was, that, that was his directions. I don't know. I couldn't draw you a map. And to be honest with you, I really don't care where it is because it's not about the place. It's about the person. 
It's about Jesus. But Jesus said, I want them to be where I am. Where is that? That's in the Father's presence. That's in glory. Where is he at? Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Romans 8 34. Ephesians 1 20. Hebrews 1 13. And 12 2 all tell us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And Jesus says, I want them to be there too. Where he wants us to be. You know, I want you to do me a favor. If you will, think about the hymns that we often sing about heaven. And, and see with me if they're not filled with a lot of sentimentali- sentimentality. I can't say that word all of a sudden. A lot of sentiments, a lot of emotion. We love to sing of songs where mother's gone on before us, where dad awaits us, where friends are. We love to sing songs about gates of pearl and streets of gold and walls made out of jasper. We love to sing songs about where the roses never fade and things of that nature. And, and, and is all of that true? Absolutely. But you want to know what makes heaven heaven? our Father and our Savior and our Spirit that sealed us to be in their presence. We often talk about what we're going to do when we get there. Will I dance for you? I don't have to sing songs and think and wonder about what I'm going to do. The Bible tells me what I'm going to do. Everybody Every human that has ever been there has the same singular reaction. You know what it is? It's not doing a two-step. It's not cutting a jig. It is to fall on your face before Him and worship and adore Him. For you realize I am only here by the grace of God and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. I'm not here because I'm the best two-stepper. I am here because of you. I will worship you. I will sing your praises. Jesus' final plea is, Lord, those whom believe, I just want them to be where where we are. Christ's final plea, what he wants them to see. I love this. Jesus said there's something particular. Go back and look at the verse. Father, I will, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me to be where I am. Why? There's something I want them to see. You know, if Jesus says there is something particular I want them to see, I would, I would tend to believe that something's pretty important, isn't it? I want you to think with me for just a minute. What, what, did, he, what, did, he, what did most people see when they saw him? Many people said, well, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Savior. He can't be the one that we have waited for and, and longed for for so long. You know why he can't be that? 
Because I went to school. I went to high school with his brother. Imagine I, I went to high school with the brother of the Messiah, the world, the Savior. That, 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 no. I, his dad, y'all, his dad was a carpenter. How in the world does a lowly carpenter be the father of one so great? Y'all, he, he come out of Nazareth. We all know ain't nothing good come out of Nazareth. Father, he was born in Bethlehem. Just miles from Jerusalem. Matter of fact, when we were there, you can't really tell when you leave one and the other except for the guards that change. <laughs> because Bethlehem is not under Jewish control. Amazes me that there are two towns in Israel that Israelis are not allowed to go without special permission. Just blows my mind. By the way, as a side note, this has nothing to do with sermon, but my father's going to fix that problem too, real quick. Born in Bethlehem. Jerusalem's just a few miles away, it's the capital city. But he wasn't born there. Born in a stable. You mean to tell me that the Savior of the world was born among barn animals? And when he arrived into Jerusalem, what did he come riding in on? A donkey. Are you serious? Many people, according to scriptures, as he was hung upon the cross, they walked by him, and you know what they did? They shook their head. In disgrace. Really, this is the Savior? Look at him. There's no power there. There's no regalness there. There's no royalty there. Look at him bleeding all over everywhere. Look at him. I'm not belittling Jesus, but that's the way men saw him. Listen, Jesus said, Father, I want them to get a glimpse of who I really am. I can't wait till they see me in all of my splendor and glory. And Father, the reason I can't wait for that is because they are going to be like me. 1 John chapter 3, see if I'm making this up. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, when he appears, we will see him as he is, for we will be like him. Jesus is not saying, Father, I want them to see me in all of my splendor and my glory so that they will be impressed with me. Jesus is still focused on you and me. I want them to, I want them to see me in my glory. And the only way that that's ever going to happen is for them to have the glorified body that I'm going to give them. Father, I can't wait for this to happen. And most of us children of God get more excited about Disney World than we do about going to heaven. Most of us are more excited about tax return when we're getting a good tax return than we are about going to heaven. Most of us are more excited about that promotion or this or that or the other. And our Savior said, Father, I'm excited for them to come home. I'm way off of my Slides, y'all don't even worry about that or pay it any attention. But he wants us to be where he is. We know what we'll experience. He wants us to see him as he is. I want you to remember, we started this study 
months and months and months ago in John chapter 13 is where all this began, that final week of Christ's life. I hope nobody's saying, boy, I'll be glad when he gets through with this. I hope you have been fed and challenged and have thought of all that this week packed in it. But in John chapter 14, do you remember? Jesus made a promise, didn't he? In my father's house, there's a lot of dwelling places for a lot of people. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Yes, men, I'm leaving you. But I'm leaving you to prepare a place for you. Not with a hammer, not with nails, not with a square, but with my precious blood as the payment for your sin. And if I leave you and I go and prepare a place for you, it's almost like Jesus is saying, come on guys, use some common sense. What purpose is there for me to go and prepare a place for you if what? If I don't come back and get you. Again, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or, or anything, but it's almost like Jesus said, that, I don't just, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? That I would die and shed my blood and carry my blood to the Father and say, okay, Father, here's the payment for the sin. Now, there is place in heaven for them. And they say, well, I, they just want to figure out how to get here. It makes no sense. Jesus said, guys, if I leave, I will come again that where I am there you may be Jesus made a promise in John chapter 14 in John chapter 17 his last final plea father let's make that happen do we not see that Jesus is so excited to come and get us and we can't get excited about going with him I want him to be where I am. Father, let's make that happen. I want you to do me a favor, if you will. You can follow along with me when I get it up here in just a minute. Or you can uh, open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, I think, explains part of what we're going to see. And what we're going to experience when we get there. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. A scroll written within and on the back. Who's seated on the throne? It is God the Father. Imagine with me. The picture, I, I painted it when we were studying through this in our Sunday night studies of Revelation, of all the colors and the flashing and the sounds and the, the, the thunder and, and all, just all of that, yes. But all the attention is focused. That lifted up is a throne. And on that throne sits God Almighty with a scroll in His right hand. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Scrolls in those days were used to be like the titles that you and I have today. Titles to property that says, This is mine. This belongs to me. 
And the request is made, is there anybody that has the authority to lay claim to all that this title deed holds within it? That is the title deed of a fallen mankind, the title deed of earth. The angel says, who, who has the clout to open these seals and to reclaim all that is within this title? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John said, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. If there's nobody with the credentials, then fallen mankind goes unclaimed. No wonder John wept loudly. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold. What's behold mean? Look! John, quit your crying! Look! See what I see? I want you this morning, the best of your ability, if you have to close your eyes and, and just as you hear the words, whatever you have to do, but would you this morning see what John saw? Look, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Woo! Can you imagine the change in John? Imagine John looked at and thought, oh, yeah, okay. Wonder what we're going to eat for lunch today. John saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. He saw the root of David, the foundation. He found, saw the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne. And the four living, uh, four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It had seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he, this lion, this root, this lamb, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, and every language, and every people, and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they, what? They shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard round the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and they say with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Which means what? So be it. We agree. That's exactly what ought to happen. They said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I don't know if you were able to envision all of that, but you started at the throne and you worked your way out from the throne and you got to the earth and below the earth and this thing just kept mushrooming out. But the activity was always the same, wasn't it? You are worthy. To you, we bow. To you, we worship, we adore. You are everything. It's not that the other's not true. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. May the 3rd, 1985, I became a married man. I couldn't tell you a decent description of my wife's dress. Have no clue. I have no idea, other than going back and looking at pictures, Brother Randy, how many candles were lit behind us. I have no recollection whether we stood under an archway or not, and if we did, was it made of wood with lattice work, or was it made out of gold or gold painted? I can't tell you any of that. For heaven's sake, I don't even remember how many groomsmen and how many bridesmaids there were. You know what? None of that was important. For on that day, my eye was focused on nothing other than Paula Taylor. That's all I saw. I couldn't tell you the first thing the preacher said other than you may now kiss your bride. That's about all I remember him saying. Y'all, when we get to heaven... Those streets of gold ain't going to mean a thing to us. We're not going to be fascinated by them. Those giant pearls that make gates. We won't give them a second look. But know this. When we get there, we are going to worship and fall down before Him. And Jesus said, I want them to see me in all of my glory. Because they'll finally be like me. They will have set aside their sin, their sorrow, their heartaches, their disease, their backaches, their headaches. They'll set it all aside. And they will have a glorified body. Woo! So what will heaven mean? Three things. They're not long. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. What will heaven mean? Heaven will mean I will be where Jesus is. And if there ain't nothing more to heaven, that's more than I ever deserved. And that's better than I could have ever hoped for. But there's a whole lot more to heaven. But the most important thing is I am going to be where he is. When my wife was proofreading my 
PowerPoint this morning. She said, isn't those two things the same thing? What will heaven mean? Not only where I be, will I be where Jesus is, but I will be with Jesus. She said, ain't that the same thing? I said, well, let's consider it this way. We won't even use Alabama. Brother David said he didn't want the word Alabama ever mentioned again. I understand in that Razorback Stadium will seat, what, 80-some-odd thousand, give or take. I can go to Razorback Stadium, and I'm where a lot of people are, but am I with them? And the answer is no. So there is a difference. Not only am I going to be in heaven where he is, but I am going to be with him because I am his brother. I am a co-heir, co-inheritor as a son of God. I will be where Jesus is. I will be with Jesus. And I will see Jesus as he is. All that lay ahead of him. And all Jesus thought to pray in the last. Father, I'm excited. I can't wait for the day. You know, I, I believe he is in heaven at the Father's right hand, as all those verses said. You ever had a dog that you put a leash on and they knew what was about to happen? They, they knew it was time to go for a walk? My grandpa had an English bulldog, and if you know anything about them, they are, they are muscular up here. And every time you put that leash on that dog, boy, you, <laughs> you better have a hold of him because he knows where he's going and he can't wait. And I mean, he is pawing, he is chomping it to bits, he is, <laughs> he's so excited, you know. I don't mean any disrespect to Jesus, but I see my Savior this morning at the right hand of the Father. All he needs to do is hear the word. I'm going to get my people. I, Father, am going to get my brothers, your children. He can't wait. As we stand and prepare to sing verses of invitation number 348. I'm not the Spirit of God. Maybe this morning you've just been re-impressed with how much He loves us, that He would bear our sins and our sorrows, and you just want to begin heaven's activity now by bowing down before Him and worshiping. Maybe you don't know Him as Savior. Today would be a good chance, an opportunity for you to do that. I'm not the Spirit. Whatever God is leading you to do, would you respond as we begin to sing, My Savior's Love.